the Freebooters Network. Hi, this is Devin Try from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you a special episode of Fireside Chats. In this episode, Adam from the Altar of War podcast sits down with Lee Van Schenk from Crucible Crush and Bob Merch from Pulp Figures. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us on this special interview uh, for the Freebooters Network. I'm Adam, and I am usually the host of uh, Masters of the Forge, uh, but today I am with Lee from Crucible Crush. Hey, Lee, how you doing? Hi there. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here and talking to live people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really been a crazy couple of weeks, and... Uh, it is nice to talk to different people once in a while, and it's nice to get different uh, different voices in your earballs. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me uh, about Crucible Crush. Uh, I I must say when uh, when my co-host and I were going through some of the uh, uh, sponsors of of Adepticon. Uh, the Crucible Crush website really intrigued us. There was some really cool stuff there. Uh, and we're, we'll talk more about the products later. What I really want to start off with is um, talk about Crucible Crush in general uh, and, and about yourself. Uh, how did you get started in the in the gaming biz and, uh, and what's Crucible Crush all about? Well, you've got two different questions there, especially <laughs> with, with my story. Uh-huh. Uh, so to unpack it, how did I get started? I, I like to tell this story because I don't think a lot of people, especially uh, the Adepticon crowd, understands where Bob Merch, who is my partner at Crucible Crush, and I come from. And Bob basically started at my father's company when he finished uh, college. And you'll have to get the actual date from him, but he finished, mm -hmm. he was actually working with us before he finished college, but he started it full time as a sculptor at my dad's company. And of course, my dad's company was Rafam Miniatures. Oh, yeah, I've heard that name for sure. Yeah, and Rafa Miniatures is actually still in business. They're still working. My dad's company still sells a lot of the figures that Bob produced back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and they've been doing some new stuff as well. They've released a few new lines in the last uh, five or six years for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but anyway, when that, that being the case, I was, my father was working in the industry now. So that takes me back to, I was 12. I remember the story. I was, you know, I kind of thinking about this interview and I was remembering the story and, and my dad said to me, Joel, do you want to play this game? And the game was Africa core. I don't mm. know if you're familiar with that game or not, mm -hmm, but that's I've an old it. Avalon. It's an Avalon Hill title and it's world war two Af Northern Africa. And I said to him, I said, Dad, I'm not allowed to play this game because it says you have to be, you have to be 12 years or older to play this game. <laughs> and I was only 10. Mm -hmm. So I've been, and now I'm, I turned 51 this year. So I've oh, been doing wow. it for for 40 years. Uh, at that point in time, it was. If it makes you it, feel any better, that's how old I am. Uh -huh. Oh wait, no, that probably doesn't make you feel. Better. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the same age. So you you went to all the shows back then in the. In the, so it would have been seven, late 70s and early 80s, um, you know, and being and I was always on the manufacturer side of things. Uh -huh. So I wasn't going to the shows playing games necessarily, which I did actually, you know, because I was a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kid. So I didn't mm -hmm. go to the shows and play games. 
but I was at, I mean, I remember being at Gen Con when it was in Kenosha at the university. And that was like the first year that I went wow. and it was kind of one of the last ones that was there. Milwaukee with Gen Con was of course kind of in the heyday of when Rafa miniatures was big and when I was actually going to all the shows and stuff. So my mm-hmm. background, and then when I came out of high school, I started into a distribution company actually. And I, I had worked through high school at my dad's place, you know, actually casting toy soldiers, you know, as well as playing games. Um, and then went into a distribution company up here in Ontario, Canada. We distributed across uh, Eastern Canada and uh, sold games for a living and then went off and went to school and ended up coming back, which kind of is where I I ended up getting my master's degree in 2011. Is that right? It might be 2013. It was 2013 I got my master's degree and I went, was came back and I was working with my dad at Rafa Miniatures. We did a couple of Kickstarters. I don't know if you're familiar with them. We did the seventh edition Call of Cthulhu uh, cool. Miniatures uh, Kickstarter, uh, which was very successful actually for 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 a small company like us. It was very mm-hmm. successful. We did um, Airship Pirates Miniatures for uh, the Airship Pirates role-playing game, uh, which was based around uh, the band that did the song The Airship Pirates called Abney. Abney Park, I believe, is the name of that group. So we did a bunch of stuff with that company, and then at that point in time, uh, I switched over for a bunch of reasons and started a company with Bob. Now, Bob had since left had left Raffam Company back in the 90s, I want to say, and uh, I think I was already gone by then. And uh, he went off and started his own company, which, as you know, is pulpfigures.com. And he he uh, started his own company, started doing that stuff, but he had other stuff that he wanted to do. So that became the Crucible Crush Company. And that was in 2014, uh, he wanted to do First Nations, uh, North American peoples. And mm-hmm. we ended up with a game called Flint and Feather, which I believe we're going to get into. But uh, No, it's totally fine. Uh, so that was, and I, the date was to, in 2014, and we got a set of rules from Howard Whitehouse. And that's kind of how the company came into being. And then so Bob and I went off and I handle the rules gaming i try to do a lot of the website stuff i've been learning how to do uh you know adobe photoshop i'm working on laying out rule books right now uh-huh. so i've been kind of handling that whole print side of things of course bob does have a background in, in printing so he's he's not totally hands off but i'm kind of the guy that gets to go out and do the work push push the stuff forward because bob's main thing is that he's a sculptor and obviously we want him sculpting toy soldiers so that you can all play with them right and uh we're i'm working on more of the print side of things and trying to get uh people interested in in our product and in the company so marketing and that side of stuff uh, on the facebook page whatever we can do i also because i've done I've done quite a few Kickstarters at this point in time, some that have failed and some that have not. So that kind of stuff is all kind of what I handle at the company. And Bob is, of course, handling the figure sculpting, but it also gives him an outlet because he does have, I mean, obviously we're all gamers. We all have the whole creative side of us and Bob being more so because he's an artist. So he, he does have stuff that, you know, 
the great thing about Bob is like he gets an idea and he can go and sculpt it. Yeah. Which is not a skill that a lot of gamers no, <laughs> have that yeah. ability. So, and he can, and I don't. So, you know, I, I can't go, he can go and think of, oh, he thinks of this guy and he goes off and sculpts it and he has a great, and he can actually have that tangible thing created in front of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so he obviously has the other, but that's his main skills. He does the art, he does some artwork as well. And, you know, he likes to do the writing, but uh, a lot of the writing comes through the pipe and I, him and I actually talk quite a bit and we make up stuff and I ended up being the one that kind of goes and writes it down. So it's all that kind of stuff of pushing the cart forward on the other stuff while Bob shoots out ideas. So yeah, I really love the, you've, you've really carved out, I wouldn't I would, I would, I hate to call it a niche because it's not a, it's not a niche. It's more, it's very unique stuff that, um, I think, uh, uh, okay, maybe, maybe that is the description of niche. Maybe that is the definition of niche. It's like a, it's no. a, it's, it's a, it's stuff that, that everybody kind of not, everybody kind of didn't know they wanted, but they, they kind of did want, right? Like I love, I love these lines. Um, can you tell me more about some of the really unique stuff that y'all produce um and uh uh kind of give give the listeners an idea of if if they're not familiar with crucible crush the kind of stuff that they can expect to see uh from from your company okay so to just go off of what you're saying uh-huh. um the reason why you use the word unique or you want to try to, to use the term niches, I believe uh-huh. is that we are actually creating our own universe mm-hmm. and creating our own. Now that's not so true with Flint and feather, but I would have to say black sun, which I haven't mentioned yet with the whole black sun project that mm-hmm. we're, that we're about a year or a year and a half into and uh, the black sun project. So we're, we've created, we were always cre- looking for, as, I don't know if she's necessarily looking for stuff, but again, going back to that statement, Bob sees something that he wants to do, he can go and sculpt it and make, and boom, we've got something, we've got a product. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of what gen, what's, we're trying to generate stuff uh, out of our own imagination, out of our own creations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, I see The Walking Dead on TV and mm-hmm. I want to play the walking dead game. <laughs> I understand that. And I understand where it comes from, from gamers. And I was kind of thinking about this interview that we were doing and getting prepared for it. I said, you know, I understand where gamers come from because back in the day it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. So mm-hmm. you had, you had Raiders of the Lost Ark. You had this great movie, but you know, after 90 minutes, what did you have? Mm. You had nothing. So that's of course why they came up with the Raiders of the Lost Ark role playing game. So because the people want to go and do that, and the great thing about movies is they're very visual and they get us all excited, and then you know leave us because there's nothing they can do. Yeah, uh, but there's nothing you can do except watch the same thing again until you know all the lines off by heart. You know what's going to happen next. So right, uh, that's you know, what my friends and I played me. Star Wars, the Star Wars yeah, role playing exactly. game. Yeah, because you wanted and, the story to continue. You didn't want it to end. That's right. So you know, then there's nothing wrong, and that's to me. The game, that's what all these, that's why these, uh, I've lost the name, all these, uh, 
licenses. All these licenses are important or mm-hmm. are very easy to carve out because, you know, everybody's seen the movie and now they want to play. Right. So this stuff's being created. So then that, you know, that talks about, and I know I was listening to some of the Freebooter stuff today and I know Warhammer 40K, it's like, or that's the Games Workshop stuff there is like, you know, that's your, that's your market and that's what you're selling for. And that's what makes us more, that's where you come up from us being a niche. And, you know, that's what they did back in the day. Back in the day, they, you know, I played Warhammer 40K when it wasn't called Warhammer 40K. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to forget the name, but I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. know the name the name of the rules before the rule book that came out originally for it. But oh, then everybody Rogue looked. Trader, right? Rogue, Rogue Trader, Trader yes. It. I was trying to think of it today, and I was going to look it up, but I, I didn't get a chance to. So, uh, you know, so... And, you know, that whole thing is where they've created a universe. And now gamers are writing their own stuff. You guys are writing your own stuff. And I was listening to it. I'm not sure if it was you, Adam, but it was some of the other uh, freebooters that you have on your on your podcast there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were talking about what's coming next for Games Workshop and what's going on. And, and you know, they're all excited about different stuff and they want to do their own thing and you know, the, uh, the gamers are out creating their own stuff for it. So, you know, and that's what, and that's where we're coming from. We're, but we're doing it. We're doing it because we have a message, if you want to call it a message, but we have a product that we're interested in getting out there and we're not interested in doing, well, we can't afford a license. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know uh, my father's company had licenses back in the day and uh, they're not, they're not easy to work with and they're not, you know, and those guys are those guys. It's worthwhile to do, but uh, yeah, we, because we were ba- because I come from that generation. Like my father and his partners, more my more as my father's partners because he was more the business side of the business. Mm-hmm. But his partners were creative and creating their own thing, creating their own rules. And they made they wrote rules when nobody else was writing miniature game rules, uh, which changed quite quickly. But um, you know, there were some of the original people writing rules in the in the late seventies. And, you know, that's, so that's where Bob and I, and those, all those three guys that, that my dad's partners, John Lang, Colin McCullen, and uh, Paul Sharp, and my dad, Jack Manchake, they all uh, influenced Bob and myself. So it's really, you're, we're really truly that next generation of, of gamers, second generation. So, I must and say, that's what we're doing. I must say that the miniatures do stand well on their own, um, but it, it, and it would be nice to say that that's the case for when it when it comes to from a marketing perspective. But it's it's classic, you know. Usually, it's not. You need to have a game or so, people want something to do with their miniatures, right? Correct. Yep. So, um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way the market is. That's the way our that's the way we we work, right? But uh, I must say that the Flint and Feather itself um, is, even though even though you you know you, there has been in the past there have been uh, uh, Native peoples uh, miniatures. You know the, the game itself, like the the concept that that you all came up with for Flint and Feather is is unique, isn't it? I would say, uh, in terms of the period, mm-hmm. if if that's what you're saying, yeah. yes, I agree. 
I think the concepts that we've used in the rules are dated and uh, are what's popular right now. Right. So we haven't we haven't necessarily straight try to stray too much from taking a look at what else is out there in the market and going people are playing this let's make something similar to this mm-hmm. so it that being said flint and feather is a skirmish level uh tabletop miniatures game in 28 millimeter yeah so the scale of course the scale 28 millimeter doesn't easily lend itself to large scale tabletop battles Mm-mm. um we are probably on the really really small size because we you know the other thing that we wanted when we made the game was we wanted something you could play on a three by three table so you could play on your kitchen table and we wanted to make it very much so that it was one-on-one so a great game to play during this period of uh, coronavirus yeah um so the idea there being that our thinking was that um large groups weren't necessarily needed and this was something that could be played you know not necessarily when you got a large group together mm-hmm. now that being said there is campaign rules in them in there which i stress that we would play as a large group mm-hmm. so when a group gets together we would actually go into a campaign game rather than than go into a, a single one-off battle although you could do that too so that's kind of but anyway so going back to what you were saying uh, I would say the period had not been done before. Um, some stuff that's similar. Now I know people have said that they can use the Flint and Feather miniatures in Saga for scralings. Um, so there's some crossover there. And uh, the other, only other thing that I would say would be maybe a Stone Age uh, uh, type period game, which right. you know you start throwing. Tyrannosaurus Rexes and <laughs> now that being said Bob has been I mean one of the things we've talked about Bob wants to do at Mastodon ah oh man because he he believes that there's a there's actually a legend in the uh, Iroquois peoples called the stiff-legged bear which Bob is kind of extrapolating to be a Mastodon because it talks about how it, it didn't exist and it doesn't exist anymore it kind of died out so he's thinking that that is something that came forward in the oral traditions from possibly the Stone Age yeah. when there was actually Macedons around. So, And oh, there's some of the things that we've done with the rules, we've done things like that, where we've extrapolated from the oral traditions and what, what we could find of, of information on the Internet and talking to, talking to Aboriginal people. And, you know, this is some of the stuff, well, you know, we're not really sure, mm. but this is what they're saying. So, and the, the examples of that are a lot of the spiritual creatures, of course, the uh, the naked bear, the horned, great horned serpent, and the stone coat giant, which is actually another interesting one because they, the stone coat giant stories talk about a, a large, obviously giant, a large man who has uh, <laughs> impenetrable armor. And uh, often... You know, and we, and of course, everybody realizes that the Vikings were there previous to the European, well, they are Europeans as well, but previous to the actual colonization, mm-hmm. which is, which is the period that we're actually looking at 
adding into the system is the uh, we're calling it flint and feather contact which is the next step for us so we're bringing the europeans in but going back to my story the stone cold giant could be extrapolated as somebody these vikings that were over there and had the metal armor at the time when the aboriginal people in north america were still using uh you know stone stone and flint flint tipped arrows and stone stone clubs stone stone headed clubs and mm-hmm. actual wooden clubs and the uh the male on the the vikings would be considered pretty impenetrable Wow, yeah, that's that's interesting. In in you know, going back to Mastodon, I'm in upstate New York. <laughs> I'm in upstate New York, and uh, we have uh, we had a, a I think in the 1800s they unearthed in the Cohoes Falls they unearthed a, uh, a, a, a not a mastodon but a uh, um, a mammoth that they it's not the same thing, right? Either way, giant woolly elephant yep. of some sort <laughs> and it was uh uh very well preserved actually yeah very well so preserved. yeah definitely that kind of stuff was around i i love i love the idea of the pre uh pre-colonial um uh miniatures game for the americas i think that's a really cool and from what i hear from uh my buddies over at the combined arms podcast they say that uh it's handled in a very respectful manner as well absolutely we was one of the things we we actually talked to uh talked to a museum up here because obviously we're in canada we're in around the grand river which was pretty heavily uh it's pretty heavily aboriginal territory Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they steered us down down the right path on that kind of stuff. So you know it really opened the eyes to um, the words that you use when you're talking about it and what you're saying. I won't go much more into that, but you know mm-hmm. just you know it's First Nations and Aboriginal, and that's what we like to keep it at. And that's you'll see that reflected in in the rule book. That's awesome. Yeah, I really I, I'm really impressed with. That. I'm going to talk more with Bob about about the miniatures and, and everything else. But I love that, uh, on the, on the website, when I, when I go to the Flint and Feather section, I'm not sure where I saw it, but it actually has the, um, like painting guides and the, like when you go to a, when you, when you play and paint a, uh, uh, a, a historical game, you, you have these guides that you can, what's the company? Uh, it's, Osprey. Osprey. Osprey has has the books. books. Yeah, they have the books for that, and I was very impressed to see that they had it for the for the native peoples as well. That's really cool. Uh, Well, I I must say that we, being Osprey, you know, being seeing the Osprey productions and what they're doing with them is something that we was our goal to achieve. That kind of stuff with the when we made the game, so mm-hmm. that's awesome. So uh, moving on, I I'd like I'd like to just kind of give people a taste of the other kinds of things uh, before we get obviously get into uh, the Black Sun stuff. Um, I'd like I'd like people to understand the 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 kinds of things that are available through Crucible Crush besides uh, Flint and Feather again. Flint and Feather is a, is different from the the other the other work that you do in that it's a totally different. I would say I wouldn't I, I hate to say genre, but I think I think that's fair to say. But 
the fact that it's so unique and so um, definitely something that was needed in the market, I think that's the similarity there. However, from a genre perspective, y'all have a lot of different stuff going on. So what would be your favorite thing besides that line that, that you do? Okay, so um, going back to Bob, Bob actually uh, forced Rafa Miniatures to <laughs> sign a contract with Chaosium for the Call of Cthulhu stuff. Now that goes back to the 80s, so... Uh-huh. Um, which was great. I mean, it was a great thing for both companies and for the miniatures and for the mm-hmm. game, I think. Um, but he did a lot of the original and um, the original work for the Cthulhu figures, and it was great stuff. Um, we've kind of pulled that through. We have a line that's called uh, Cthulhu 28s, which is kind of a takeoff on the, them being 28 millimeter. And... Uh, yeah, I shared this with my buddies. I I have some friends who are into Cthulhu, and I shared this with them when I was going through your site because they are some pretty great, pretty great investigators and stuff that you have in here. And yeah, oh, and the monsters kinda, too. Yeah, they're they're kind of designed for the board games mm-hmm. that were popular. They're using some of the famous tropes from yeah. the from the twenties, from the thirties. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, without going too much into that, that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously something that lets us, again, going back to what you said earlier, it's miniatures that you can actually use in the games that you're playing. Yeah. Because you want that as a gamer. So Absolutely. that's exactly what that stuff's for. Yeah. If, if you're doing, if you're doing the role playing game or if you're doing something else, there, there's, there's quite a bit out there when it comes to, um, weird, uh, history. Yeah, and these are great miniatures for that. Um, yeah, and and Bob is, I mean, Bob's whole company, the Pulp Figures company, was based around, um, is all based around the, the pulp era. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I don't know if you know what, what that relates to, but the mm-hmm. pulp serials and the uh, magazines, pulp magazines yep. and that, that came out in the, uh, I want to say 40s, 30s and 40s, and maybe 50s. Like and Robert Howard and yes. Conan and... Well, and, and then... so more, that more realistic stuff, too. Yeah, so that obviously dovetails into the Cthulhu stuff. Yeah. And um, his desire to see that, and that's how we ended up with Cthulhu 28s being a product that he made. We also did some starships because mm-hmm. Bob got onto a science fiction kick and we did some <laughs> 1970s style starships and uh, they were called star crush. So I'll give them a plug. We did do a game that was only ever released as a PDF uh, with cards, mm-hmm. which I think was only available if you actually emailed me and asked me for it. <laughs> um, so that, that's a game and that uh, we did a Kickstarter on that, and that we we uh, we made our our goal, but uh, in that it got funded, but we didn't. It wasn't very successful. So we and then we have moved, kind of moved on from the figures, but they are there and available. They're called Star Crush, and they're on the site as well, and they'll fit in with they'll fit in with the X Wing size stuff. Okay. 
So if you want a unique uh, fleet, or sorry, a unique squadron of, of fighters, you could uh, yeah. grab those up. Cool. But that but that game does not lend itself to that. No, it doesn't. Because you need <laughs> you need the cut. You need all the specific stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I when I was playing Starfleet or not Starfleet Battles, uh, when I was playing the uh, uh, Star Trek version of X Wing, uh, I would buy all kinds of miniatures and stick them on the pegs because I preferred those instead of what yeah. they had available in the plastics. So yeah. it's a, us, um, gamers, gamers will use the old. Yeah. You have to use the car, the same cards and the same pegs. So I had to buy both miniatures. I would buy two miniatures to make one miniature. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, was there anything, uh, you know, uh, the sad, you know, RIP Adepticon, was there anything that you were planning on unveiling or promoting at Adepticon or what were you, what are you excited? I mean, I, I, I know the answer to this now, but what are you excited <laughs> about now that you wanted to talk about? Okay. So the big thing for us at Adepticon, we had actually gone to two booths this year, Ooh. which was, which is a huge um, yeah, that's freaking, it's a big step for a little company like that's us. a lot of that's a so, lot of space. Yes, so we wanted the extra space because we wanted to have a gaming table at the booth. Oh, nice. the one thing the one thing that we found uh, was we couldn't really get promoting games there. Mm -hmm. uh, we had run Flint and Feather uh, demo games in the gaming hall, but we were down at the back. Hopefully this my my painting here can bring everybody into a flashback to Adepticon and fulfill some of mm -hmm. the miss, missing uh, days. But if you remember the where the 40k players are on the on the one side and then the mm -hmm. vendors are in the middle and then the X wing and the other yep. uh, gaming and that stuff is on the on the other side. Well, we were behind all those 40k gamers right at the very back of the table, oh, yeah. right in front of the concession booth. Oh so, man, yeah. I ran a I ran a Star Trek Attack Wing back there a few years ago. Yeah, and uh it was it's it's pretty rough back there. <laughs> yes. So we've been there for two years in a row and you just I mean, we would have to pull people over from the booth, so and it just wasn't you know, I'd have to I'd be fighting off the guys wanting to sit down and eat their French fries at my table. <laughs> oh no. And they weren't real interested in what was going on, on the table, they just wanted to eat their French fries. So. Yeah. So it was, uh, so anyway, we found that we wanted something at the booth. And also because we're a two man show that would allow both of us to be at the booth mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, switch off a little bit and that kind of stuff. So that was the big, well, that's an unveiling, but that was hopefully going to have us with a gaming table at the booth where we could bring people in there and get them going. Uh, it, we're going to be doing it in the future. So hopefully I'm promoting that if you want to try our stuff. Next year, when we Depticon's back on, come over to the booth. We'll have space there. You can sit down, and I can run you through the games. They take 50, it can take literally as little as fifteen to twenty minutes if that's what you want to do, and you can spend some time and learn how our rule system works. Our rule system is similar across both platforms, which is interesting uh, because we did it for a Flint and Feather, which, as you know, is pre prehistoric. As we, as we were talking earlier, 
uh, prehistoric skirmish battling, and now we're doing Black Sun. So the difference in the rules being the uh, the prehistoric stuff, obviously a lot more melee going on. Yeah. When we were when we were playtesting the Flint and Feather, I, I said, "Hey, this feels like a gang fight." And when you're playing the game, <laughs> that's really what it feels like when you're running your group of you, tw- you have about ten to twelve. 15 figures maybe as your group of the group of guys and it's like a gang fight now so in black sun the uh, a lot more emphasis obviously on small arms fire and combat oh okay yeah that, so, that, that sounds that sounds fun it, it, now it, is it is it kind of like a close quarters um like with you know like buildings and scaffolding and stuff like that it is but you're in the jungle oh neat. so there's definitely a lack of uh, buildings and scaffolding you're more trees and plants and oh i love that that's cool and we do have some stuff we had some very nice terrain if you look at our facebook page uh there's lots of pictures of the terrain that we've done okay uh, we do have some youtube videos as well i don't think i've actually told you about that adam but there's some youtube we do have our own youtube channel called crucible crush which has okay. a playthrough of the black sun rules I believe it does have some Clinton Feather stuff on there. It's got some of the videos. It's got the Star Crush videos that we've done. Uh, so there's a bunch of different stuff. It is Crucible Crush. is our YouTube channel. Okay. Um, so at Adepticon, we were looking at um, the biggest thing we wanted to do was we wanted to get people coming through the booth and playing Black Sun because that's what we have right now. Now, the other thing that I wanted to promote was uh, Crocodile Games was going to be there for the first time, and I don't know whether you guys have actually been in contact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably shoot Chris something, but and they're going to be beside us, so we were going to kind of share the table with them. We've done we've done a lot of work with them in the past, and they're our our go to guys down there in the state. So we appreciate Chris and Crocodile Games a lot. Well, I knew they were going to be there. Uh, uh, Masters of the Forge. We did a episode, um, our last episode. We, we had planned on doing on Adepticon and instead we just went through every single vendor on Adepticon's page and went through their mm-hmm. website and tried to figure out all what they were about. So I remember <laughs> Crocodile Games had some some really cool uh some really cool evocative uh art uh to to go with their games and we were we definitely were interested in what they had going on. It seemed really cool. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Terrace got a hold of them for an interview, but folks should definitely check out Crocodile Games. It looks like a cool uh, a cool company. They just released their rulebook, War Gods of Olympus, which was a long time coming. It's a 350 page full color oh, rulebook, and it's beautiful. I remember seeing them, and and our comment for that, I mean, it's you you see pictures of people you know, packing up these books and sending them off. Like yep. it looks like a company who, I mean, they love what they do. Like they're, yep, absolutely. they are, they are absolutely um, committed well, to, to the thing that they love. And, and this, 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 you know, this, this um industry, you have to love it, right? Like you say yep, that absolutely. you and Bob started this because Bob wanted to do, Bob wanted to do that game. He wanted to have a respectful miniatures game featuring the, uh, uh, indigenous, uh, the indigenous peoples. Right. And it's like you, and, and you guys do, you guys do these things. And when Bob, 
uh, forced the company to do the uh, uh, the the Cthulhu miniatures is he wanted to do those miniatures, right? Yep. So it's yep. all about the love, right? It's all about the yep. love of of the of the the the, the genres that you're interested in, the, the work that you want to do. Well, Chris Fitzpatrick at Crocodile Games is a former Games Workshop sculptor. Ah. So a lot of your listeners should know who he is or know his or have maybe played with his stuff in the past. So. All right. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so so since that. since people wanted to since the main thing you wanted to do was get people playing Black Sun, I would say if you do have you do have a YouTube uh, uh, video out there, a few YouTube videos of, of yep, the yep. of the gameplay. Yep. And we're doing more. So. OK, cool. Yeah, folks, check out that. Now, before we get into you know, the exact locations of all these, all these, uh, 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 social media. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Lee? Well, uh, the, the rule book for black sun, is, uh-huh. I'm working on the layout. I've got the layout like 90% done. It needs to go to the printer. Okay. Our goal was to have that done for Adepticon and have it there. We did do a Kickstarter for it that supports, so we got to get it out to our Kickstarter supporters. Okay. But, that was our big unveiling that Adepticon was going to be obviously trying to push this, uh, this black sun stuff and get it out there. We had given away figures in the VIG bags Mm. as well. So we were trying to, I mean, we're trying to get, um, as much as we can into that, into what's going on there with the organizers. And obviously they're doing a great job and they know how to reach their people. They are gamers. They know how to reach gamers because they're gamers themselves. And, uh, it's just been great to work with them and and try to build this with what's going on at Adepticon. And, you know, miniatures gaming is what Adepticon's all about, miniatures gaming. So, and that's why we're there. Awesome. Um, so that's what we're trying to build into that audience. So if there's people that know or want something or, you know, let us know. And if you got some insight, let us know. And uh, <laughs> we'll do our best to try and meet their needs. Great. So... And then I mentioned that I mentioned that um, I mentioned that Flint and Feather Contact is coming. Ah, so that's going to be a Kickstarter, so you can watch for us on that. It's supposed to be in March. We've already got French figures sculpted and painted and pictures out there. Those are on Facebook um, on our Crucible Crush Games page, which we'll get to. That. You're never going to get that, so I'll leave that. Um, so those figures are going to get to. Bob's working on sculpting the English. It's going to be a 72-page rule book. I'd like to do more. It'll depend on the funding level. I'm hoping that funding will be better than Black Sun because they've already got this Flint mm-hmm. Feather thing building up. So we're working on that. That'll be on Kickstarter. Um, you know, when we clear through this this coronavirus thing, yeah, might be a couple months. So. You know, we'd be looking at towards the tail end of that, maybe the summertime. Right. And not not the least of which, because people might not have the extra pocket money to, yeah, uh, to donate to it. Um, so that sounds really interesting to me. You know, like I said, I'm in upstate New York. So yeah. I the... saw an interesting one that somebody sent sent us on Facebook on because we have a Flint and Feather Miniatures game group uh-huh. on Facebook and uh, they sent us an interesting one of a Dutch expedition in that area, so we're going to work something like that into as one of the scenarios. And yeah. Dutch are planned. Dutch are planned for contact as well. The Dutch and the Swedish 
yeah. down the road. So those are all planned. Black Sun, we're going to look at the end of the year. We already have a Shogoth made up, which was part <laughs> of one of our Kickstarters. We have the pieces done in resin. We have another thing, which is called a hazardous plant, which oh, is man, basically yeah. your Venus flytrap eating you as you try to run through the jungle. And um, we've got some other stuff. There's ghouls. There's an LIG faction in Black Sun that has ghouls, which, of course, ghouls are big in Cthulhu. If anybody follows the Cthulhu mm -hmm. genre, you know that uh, ghouls are, are something that were touched on in that. So we've got some ghouls there with uh, Germans with an old German expedition that got stuck in the Black Sun um, uh, and shockwave zombies. There's a golem creature that's a natural force that kind of glues parts to itself, animates, reanimates things, and has parts that glue to itself. So we're going to do a Kickstarter for Black Sun. I tell you all that to tell you. We're going to do a Kickstarter for Black Sun on Black Sun Monster, the monsters of Black Sun. So okay. it'll bring... Because right now, a lot of, if you look through the site, a lot of figures are uh, traditional human forces. Mm -hmm. So we're adding that. We're kind of branching into that Cthulhu element. And we've also got Soviets and communist Chinese involved in the whole thing. But they won't be around probably until next year. Right. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. That's so cool. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I would like you to take an opportunity to, um, I know we've kind of discussed, uh, like the website and everything and the Facebook throughout this conversation, but usually, uh, it's good to reiterate, uh, all the places folks can go to get the information they need to get into your games. So, um, can you rattle those off for me? <laughs> okay, so the website is www.cruciblecrush.com. Uh -huh. So that'll be your main stuff. There is a link there to the Crucible Crush store as well. Yep. Um, the Facebook, we're Crucible Crush Games, three mm -hmm. words, uh, capital C, capital C, and capital G on games. So Crucible Crush Games is on Facebook. That's an important, because that's a page on Facebook, and that's both Bob and I post stuff to that. There's pictures on there right now of our most recent figures that Bob's been painting up okay. for the Black Sun stuff. There's also, as I said, there's also for you, Adam, there's also Flint and Feather contact figures on there. And we do release a lot of our information and uh, events and that through that, that site. So that's a main one for us is Crystal Crush Games on Facebook. We also have a Flint and Feather Miniatures game. So it's called Flint and Feather Miniatures Games, Miniatures Game uh, on Facebook. And that is for players who are actually playing the game. There's some solo rules on there. There's a lot of people showing off their painted figures on there. It is a closed group. I do look quite closely at um, who, who we let in and what yeah. they're posting. We're not interested in. I don't. I'm not. I'm just saying it right off the top. We're not interested in a lot of you. Hey, I use these for this, or uh -huh. you should go over and try this game. Uh -huh. We're not interested in that over there. If you're in, if you want the Flint and Feather Miniatures game and information about that, then that's the group. Okay. Cool. That's awesome. And then Bob has his. I think his is Bob Merch. Okay. Because he's made his a personal page. He's Bob Merch on uh, Facebook. 
And the YouTube channel, um, can you tell me that again? That's Crucible Crush. Okay. On YouTube. On YouTube. Just want to go to that. it. Awesome. Yeah, because I definitely want people to get in there and, and play the games and or sorry, watch some videos of the actual gameplay and and uh, see how much fun this stuff is. Uh, and featuring the sweet miniatures by Bob. I can't wait to talk to Bob. He's probably going to be very interesting to talk to as well. Oh, yeah, he's uh, been doing it for years. I was going to say, we also have a, yes, we're Crucible Crush, two words, on, on, on YouTube. YouTube. So we also have a blog which goes through the actual playtesting of the rules. When we were actually working as a group together, I had a playtest group, and we were actually running a campaign and it doesn't tell about the group stuff because that, although that's cool, uh, it wasn't pertinent to helping people learn the rules and play the rules. So the Flint and Feather Playtest.blogspot.com is actually very good in terms of giving you an idea of where we were coming from when we made the rules. Why did we make decisions on how we, cause we had some different ideas on what to do with the rules. Obviously you always do. Uh, all of us gamers have different ideas on how the rules should be played, but it gives you an idea of the thinking that went behind why we made the decisions about doing what we did. And I think that's a pretty interesting read and it's not very long either. I, I don't think there's that many, uh, I mean, there's quite a few, but there's, there's, uh, yeah, I'm just looking through it and there's not that many posts. So maybe 20 or 30 posts in it. So you could get through it all with a relatively easy read, I believe. And it'd be really neat to see the organic nature of the game development and how, how it pans out over time. That's cool. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. That's you cool. exactly summed it up perfectly. That's great. Um, well, I'm really interested in your games. I, I really don't play a lot of historicals, um, to be to be perfectly honest. And and but it's it's well, it's the you know I like I said my I am as old as your hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so well, so I am, but like I said, being from upstate New York, the uh, like the you know the French and Indian War period. Um, I think I think the the Revolutionary War ended in Saratoga, yep, I believe, yep. and we have the battlefields up there and everything like that. Like I'd be I'd be very interested in you know, a skirmish game where I get to I get to shoot my predecessors with arrows. That sounds pretty great. Well, <laughs> just just to go along with that, um, you there is magic. In the Flint and Feather one, no. Oh, some of our some of our more historical guys don't want that because they don't believe magic uh, should be in any game. Uh -huh. But it all it lends itself very much to the guys that have a little more imagination and creativity. Now, you know, just the idea that in prehistoric times everything wasn't necessarily explainable, and this is the way they went about and did things, and it caused things to happen. And I mean, obviously, there's the Iroquois mythology. And the magic system is that allows us to put that Iroquois mythology into the game. So there's yeah, that in Flint cool. Feather. And on the Black Sun side, obviously, we're talking about an alternate dimension, alternate right. Earth with monsters. So it's not going to be totally historical either. There's Adaro Fishmen in there, which are basically deep ones. There's a whole faction yeah. you can play. 
with the MB Adaro, so you don't have to be historical. So just That's cool. so you know. No, it's totally. I am I am open to all kinds of stuff like that. Um, all right, well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. I really hey. appreciate it. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate everything you guys are doing and love Terrace. Oh, he's and, great. And uh, I think it's great that you guys are doing this for all us manufacturers and really appreciate it. All right. Well, hope to talk to you again. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, see you next Adepticon. Okay. Currently, humanity looks to the internet for its information. We have stood at the edge of despair and would have fallen. If not for awesome podcasts and their content of everything we love. Now these podcasts are all brought together in one place. Forged in like-mindedness, tempered with a community-oriented forum, covering all things geek, such as wargaming, board gaming, comics, movies, and more. Presenting a lineup of podcasts producing exclusive content for the fans. The Freebooters Network. Trolls want to steal our community. Let them try. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there with us. I'm back with Bob Merch. Is that how you pronounce it? Merch? Merch, yes it is. Is that how you pronounce it? Bob? Bob, that's yeah. correct pronunciation? Bob. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. Bob Birch. <laughs> Great, Bob. So thanks for joining us. Um, I must say, you know, before we really dive in, I love this line of miniatures. I think it's super, super rad. Um, really liked paging through your catalog, and I'm sure I haven't seen even uh, a slice of it yet, and I love it. The Paul Figures catalog. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's yeah. it's it's amazing. Um. And I, we're almost two two hundred SKUs in that catalog at this point. So oh my close. goodness! Oh my goodness! That's a lot. So and, and it's it's not just the st- so we just the listeners would have just heard uh, my interview with Lee, um, but your yeah. your catalog goes even beyond like what you're doing in in you know in uh, collaboration with Crucible Crush. Um, You've got a huge, yes. huge array of stuff. Um, so we're we're going to get into your popular, your currently popular ranges like Flint and Feather, but also I I definitely want to get into some of the new stuff you have coming out. Your your stuff, your Black Sun stuff that they y- y'all are putting together. But first, before we get into all of that, I'd like to know. You know, Bob, what do you do at Pulp Figures? I, I, I think you are Pulp Figures, basically, right? I am Pulp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty well. I am, I am it, from sweeping the floor to, uh, you know, going to the bank and talking to them about finance and everything in between. So That's awesome. Is is my main thing. That's that's what I like to do. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then uh, asking and packing and shipping and that's what I do to let me do the sculpting. So I'm just uh yeah, that's it's all me. All figures it's why crucible crush is mm-hmm. <laughs> it's to help make life a little easier for Bob, don't tell me that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're a living you're a living embodiment of uh someone who 
who who's doing their art and and making it work and that's just a beautiful thing that's every i love hearing those stories so yeah i'll tell myself all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're living the dream compare you know according to many many other folks out there so uh, enjoy that that's amazing so um you you know i was a little bit curious how how did you how did you get started doing this like i'm imagining you talking about uh, i was looking at your website you talk about how you 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 know you you cast the molds and everything like that like how how do you go about doing that as a one-man operation um you Compartmentalize. You kind of wear a lot of different hats, and you kind of look at the day and the you know when you get up in the morning and you you think about what's the priority. And, um, you assign yourself that job for the day. So uh, today I'm still I'm just about finished cleaning masters and the masters for the dangerous games Kickstarter that I'm almost ready. That to, sounds fun. Get seriously casting on. I'm casting already several of the the sets, but uh, I have to finish four more molds in the next uh, two days. Mm-hmm. I get really rolling on that. So the first step was today is get the master get to the mold. How and big is so your mold? Like how many? How many? How many of these uh, blisters can you do at a time? I do uh, a generally a five-figure blister, and the whole organization of my company was actually a gift to me from Brian Ansel of Games Workshop. Oh and wow! He was when he was doing foundry miniatures. Uh, I was on a long phone conversation with him, and the foundry miniatures used to do eight figures per pack and he was telling me about how they went to five figures per pack. You can put three sets of figures in every nine inch mold. And so every time you spun that mold, a minute later you have uh, three packs of miniatures ready to go. And uh, I just thought, you know, that's that's experience talking, and I decided that was my business model right there. That's cool. So, yeah, it, I, it didn't occur to me that it was so quick, but it stands to reason that metal would would cool very quickly, or at least not, at least just be set enough that you could release it from the mold. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's well, our our metals, uh, the white metals, the pewters, mm-hmm. and the uh, lead to now is they all cool pretty darn fast, so it's about a minute mm-hmm. to spin. Okay. Uh, and then you can demold, and uh, I tend to these days just pack as I go and lay them out and inspect them and uh, get them into the packages. Um, now way I know exactly what I've done. That's so that's awesome. Um, that sounds fun. It, the big freedom the whole system gives me is to sculpt a lot of figures. Because uh, I can put five different figures in every pack, and I can mm-hmm. come up with lots of different characters and, and uh, themes, and that system. Then, instead of in, in the old days, what we used to do is put the same figure in one mold. Uh-huh. So an old pack like mine would have been five molds, which is, is a storage problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least. 
me go crazy and do lots and lots of new stuff all the time. Yeah, I guess you know a big company would have to pay somebody to sculpt. It would be very expensive to pay somebody to sculpt a miniature, so they just copy it and have that all be the same blister. But you're doing it. I mean, that's the part that you love. So yeah, yeah. So I don't sell. To be fair, I don't sell the volume of a reaper. Right, right, right. Need to do dedicated molds for their Uh Lee uh, says he used to work for Reaper. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, Reaper uh, sold through uh, Silver Fox in Canada, and uh, I'm not sure what the arrangement is to this day. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Lee knows uh, knows that Q quite. I don't know quite well is the word, but he does talk to Ed once mm-hmm. in a while in certain shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a bit of work for Reaper way back when myself. But I only ever talked to the to the uh, art director mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's a very incestuous industry. We all tend to know each other. <laughs> Uh, before we get into the um, the fun pulpy stuff, I'd really like to chat about the Flint and Feather line, if you don't mind. Um, okay. What was the genesis of that? What uh, what made you want to do that line? Um, I I all well, I grew up in Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. My family cottage was up in Peronia, and so. Uh, in the summertime when they first would plow the fields on the other side of the river from my high school, my dad and I would go down and we'd walk the fields looking for arrowheads because that's where, as I would later learn, the Iroquois and neutral Indians lived in that region. Uh-huh. That was one of their summer areas. So they, uh, they would camp there and farm in the summertime and move on for the hunting grounds in other seasons. Um, and I always had a sort of a, a strong attraction of subject matter. I did have some First Nations figures when we, years and years ago, when I first started working for Rapham, uh, they created a Flint and Feather, original Flint and Feather line, which was intended to be seven years more, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did figures for that, and I got pretty interested in it at the time. Uh, the First Nation stuff, much more so than just the, the colonial uh, and stuff. Right. And then about seven years ago, I read uh, Joseph Boyden's book, The Oretta, which was all about the Iroquoian... Uh, Civil War, which was the the, Ir- the Haudenosaunee, which are we mostly from the Iroquois, which are from your area in New York State, mm-hmm. and the uh, Huron, which were up in uh, the Bruce Peninsula area, and, uh, and what is known as sort of the sort of northern southern Ontario. So the yeah. great Ameri- the the great United States Canada War, but before. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was a war that had to do with uh, who's going to control the fur trade, who's going to make the most uh, uh, profit sell to the Europeans as they came in. Mm. Uh, and so uh, they they fought a pretty 
significant war for control of this particular source. Mm. And the book itself was a brilliant book. Um, it was actually running a little bit of trouble since for claiming the name of Peregrine when it was, I guess, minimal. Right, but right. I think overall his, his research and, and the, the affinity for the First Nations people that comes across in the book is really something I found is inspirational. So I started digging into a lot of uh, more scholarly research. Mm -hmm. um, I tracked down kind of archaeological uh, papers and, and found as many books as I could about the subject matter and kind of dug into just what, what we do know about this history. Right. As much as the, the you know, as, as much as outsiders as we are, are kind of permitted. And uh, I thought, I just kind of went to town again. We asked Ralph and we, if we could use the, the Flint and Bender original range name again. And uh, they said, yeah, go ahead. That's and great. We, we decided to, to do this as our first project as Crucible Crush. Really, big project, but anyway. Well, that's that's really good. I I think a lot of people. Um, I have a I have a buddy who plays who, who's uh, they have, a, more of a his, like a historical and other games type podcast, um, and uh, he says that the the one of the big draws of Flint and Feather is how respectfully it treats the history and the actual goings on of that era. And the people I, I, who who were involved in it. I really hope so. I mean, we we had a friend, a First Nations friend, who, who when we asked him what he thought about us doing this, because we're not we're not First Nations, um, and the old cultural appropriation issue and all that kind of stuff. And his his advice was, you know, and it was his advice, not everyone's advice. And, yeah. And, and be respectful. So um, that's I think foremost what we tried to do when we were writing these bills and you know to be honest we're you know we're we're settlers as as we're mm -hmm. we we may have slipped up anyway uh yeah and apologies have if we have but uh we did our best to kind of be respectful and, and make it a fair uh, uh approach to that subject matter um, and after all, again, it is also a game, and it's supposed to be fun and exciting, but I hope it's also a little bit educational, a little bit about a period of history not a lot of people know about. And, so, you know, when, when folks think of, in, in the Americas, or well, at least in the United States, you know, it's, it's usually an Old West-type uh, frame where it's very much an imperialist versus native type situation. And this yeah. is, this is before all of that. And it's in a different well, location as well. And, and I'm firmly convinced from what I've learned is that our country, you know, our countries, America and Canada, in those days, the foundations were laid. And the foundations for what we became were created both by Europeans and First Nations. Mm -hmm. They were, it wasn't First Nations coming in and 
imposing a complete way of life. Uh, it was a life that was created in tandem between the two cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, when the population numbers were really, you know, by the American Revolution, when the population numbers were very much of the European faith, that's when stuff started really getting uh, uh, imposed on the First Nations. Yeah. But before that, I don't think people mess with the, the Haudenosaunee Iroquois. People tended to be pretty respectful of them uh, before uh, you know, the American Revolution period. Uh, they were powerful and were a significant power in the region. Yeah, and it, it really so, it really shows how uh, sophisticated and um, rich that the those cultures were uh, at the yeah. time. Uh, you, there, you you actually have some pretty cool literature on your website uh, that you know gives folks uh, uh, the, the information they need to paint their miniatures in a. Yeah. In, a, in a, a culturally um, appropriate or a time time frame appropriate way, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a much deeper culture than people are aware of. and a a fairly socially advanced culture mm-hmm. because many you know there are some people who feel that the concept of American democracy was something inherited from Iroquois democracy as opposed to, you know, something cooked up, you know, a, a relic of, you know, Greco-Roman history. Uh, yeah, I think there's probably both came into it. But yeah. Benjamin Franklin commented once that it, you know, when they were trying to form America as a, as a new republic, uh, a democratic republic, uh, it was comment was something to the effect that if, if, uh, if the Iroquois can do it, why can't we? <laughs> right. And it's almost well, as if there's a natural human predilection for everyone having a say in their in their yeah. in their destiny, right? Yeah, I so, think so. So uh, uh moving on, I again really I'm really tempted to put put a war band together myself, but Let's move on yeah. to your um let's move on to your your other lines. Uh I guess uh, uh Lee was saying that you have you're, you're kind of pulling it all together into a uh I, I don't want I hate to use a term as sterile as IP, but uh I guess that's kind of what it is where you you're kind of giving a a background lore to your to to your figures and and creating a history. Yeah, it's uh, almost, well, I, I guess if you're thinking of the Black Sun, are, are mm-hmm. you? Uh, yes, sir. But the, uh, yeah, we are kind of starting to develop a world in a, in a pseudo-history that uh, has a lot of different threads feeding into it, mm-hmm. but will hopefully create something a little bit different and something that's kind of ours. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're using elements that are borrowed from here and there and everywhere. And 
about history as well. But uh, in the end, I think uh, we've got something that's going to be kind of ours and uh, hopefully a little different. Yeah, when I was talking to Lee, I was struggling with how to a way to describe um, my impressions of the line, and I yeah. think I uh, upon upon further reflection, I think I can uh, I can easily describe it as um, it. Uh, when I was speaking to him, I said it was niche, but I, I I don't I think it has a definite unique style, but with a variety of uh, a variety of um, uh, designs and uh, the, the design space is actually has a lot of variety to it, even though it has a very unique feel and a unique uh, uh, um, uh, headspace about it. Yeah, we uh, we're both historical gamers, probably primarily, I guess, but I'm also. Uh, Big Lovecraftian mm-hmm. from a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and also just a fantasy literature, uh, weird fiction, both kind of guy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So a lot of those elements are being fed into Blackson. And uh, I think, you know, we are introducing things like the Lovecraftian elements. Not as much as it's going to be a Lovecraft world, as a sort of a shorthand, almost a short form way of saying, you know, this is a bit of the direction we're going, but we're going to be making up our own stuff too, just like all the original Lovecraft movies. Well, yeah, everything back then did have its own kind of zeitgeist situation thing, right? It wasn't just Lovecraft. I was, but you can see the impressions that Lovecraft and his ilk had on the, uh, on writer, Robert Howard, for example, you can feel, you know, the Lovecraftian universe, the mythos was created by Howard, Lovecraft, Mm -hmm. Clark Ashton Smith, and uh, to a lesser degree, Robert Block, and their correspondence is pretty pretty clearly shows that they they bounced ideas off each other all the time despite how far apart they were from yeah. each other physically, right? I'd say Blackson of all the three of the original three, they call them the three most most of the at that point. <laughs> Blackson actually owes more to Clark Afton Smith than I would love for after Howard. And uh, it, Clark uh, Afton sort of his sort of weird worlds of uh, uh, doomed uh, civilizations and and uh, strange dark magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I think what we're going to really be more drawing on in classic, you know, Lovecraftian, just Lovecraft's, you know. Uh, uh, there are. I, there are some delightful miniatures, Bob. I am really intrigued oh. by, uh, by a lot of these. Um, like the, like I, I love the idea of being able to shoot up a bunch of fascists and their fascist robots. Like that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> and they're, well, and they're rocket, to... rocket pack fascists. I will shoot a rocket pack fascist in the face. I will do that. Oh, can you 
you imagine how they go down in flames when they, <laughs> when they look there? I mean, it, there'd be nothing better. And I love the, like, you have a lot of, um, uh, you have some some good uh, gender diversity in the miniatures too. You got some secret agents and some yeah. uh, and, and like report like you have reporters and all, like anything that you'd think of that was that would be a a uh, profession that would be deep in the mythos type uh, 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 investigation is there. Um, and, and and a variety among those too right uh because we're dealing with metal miniatures i think it really helps to have a good variety in each of these blister packs yeah and uh each with a personality each you can almost look at each figure and full story about them mm-hmm. who they are what they're about and that's kind of how i think of them when i'm, I'm making the figures of my my wife is actually a scientist, so uh, we she's taken me on expeditions to Egypt. Oh, that's for, awesome! We were in the high Arctic, uh, and I I spent my whole time in the high Arctic. You know, when I wasn't, you know, watching polar bears and and keeping to keep everyone safe to the best of my ability, uh, I would be sketching in my notebook and uh, you know to the two years of the expedition were women and mm. so <laughs> i was i was keeping that in mind the whole time i was sketching the dangerous names for the uh the project that i spent the last half of the year working on oh cool uh i am i am really like you have uh, can you can you just quickly talk about a few of your favorite because i could sit here and gush all night so maybe you could just give the give the listeners maybe people who haven't checked out pulp figures uh just a some quick examples of your favorite packs that you've you've created well i think uh just having finished off with with dangerous games i'm I'm really pretty proud of how a lot of them came out Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a bit more of a a slight uh, tweak of the original style. So they're a little finer, a little more sophisticated as far as figures go. Um, and I'd say one of my favorites is uh, Professor Plum. And she's uh, in the uh, Ladies Exploration Society set. And she's uh, decked out in her expedition gear and uh, sheltering under a parasol or an umbrella and examining a small artifact that resembles the great cocoon. Oh. She's, she's, she's not quite sure what it is, but she's kind of looking at it with uh, scholarly intent. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with her. Um, the main character out of these new figures is uh, Crash Callahan, who's got a motorcycle. And a dog. Oh my gosh. I and saw that on your Facebook page. I want that so bad. It's uh it was the highlight of the of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> and there are two versions of her too. The, the Facebook and you saw the official release version. And then the Kickstarter backers get one where instead of wearing the uh the motorcycle helmet she's wearing 
shield the Murray Aviators uh, oh, uh, cool. Oh, I love this Dangerous Dames one. I love the pilot. She's rad. Yeah. <laughs> Look at how the, cool uh, she is. She's going to paint up great because she's wearing a Mae West uh, old uh, life jacket. Uh-huh. Not the inflatable one the bomber crews wore. <laughs> um, she's basically wearing British, you know, uh-huh. bomber uniform. Uh, which is kind of cool because that's what my dad was during the war. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so. cool. Yeah, there's some great stuff in here. Folks, you, folks really need to come and check this out. It's uh, pulpfigures.com and just click through the catalog and you'll see some really cool stuff and very reasonable prices for for these unique miniatures too, if I if I may say so. The, the dangerous games are going to be released probably in April. Uh, April. As soon as I got the Kickstarter batteries stuff out the door, uh-huh. uh, then uh, that will go online and it'll be nine new packs. So the fact that you are able that you fulfill the production yourself probably makes it really easy to ensure that your Kickstarter backers get their stuff before everybody else, which is ever, I'm sure everybody appreciates that. I, I hope so. I mean, I can't, some of the stuff would be traveling by sea right now mm-hmm. because of the current situation. I probably should yeah. have told the the other day. There's all, it's only going by sea. Yeah. Right. Now. Right. But that makes sense. I'll do my best to, uh, at least get it, get it out the door this month and, uh, and see if the backers get what they uh, help create. I'm pretty sure, I'm not going to put any words in anybody's mouth, but I'm pretty sure folks who are used to buying metal blister packs from from uh, artists such as yourself are more than happy to uh, wait a week or two for for shipping. I'm sure they've got, they've had, they, I'm sure they have stories that they could tell about <laughs> procuring <laughs> miniatures from God knows sure, where. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Kickstarters just to do myself. Mm-hmm. Like, once, I, once I support them, I'm kind of just like, okay, when it arrives, it arrives. <laughs> but, uh, in my case, with, with this one, I'm, I'm absolutely trying to stay on schedule. Right. The best of so far, I've, I've managed it, which is kind of got me a bit shocked <laughs> considering how huge the project was oh man yeah i, I could i'm gonna I'm, I'm just gonna switch tabs here because i'm just gonna keep on oh what about this one talk about this one i could talk forever um so uh lee was talking about how you're very you're, you're champing at the bit to put out a mastodon yeah, how, yeah. How yeah. Cl- <laughs> we have a mastodon in our area. We've got a um the Cohoes Falls back in the 1800s. They found a a uh, a mastodon still with some of the flesh still on it in the permafrost. Cool. Back when we used to have permafrost around here, yeah. uh, and it's uh it's it's still on display in the Cohoes Library. So that's absolutely yeah. It's cl- clearly that's the kind of thing you should be creating for well. Uh, they were in New York State, obviously. Clearly, you know, and that's that's of the territory, and uh, their legend is of the stiff-legged bear, 
a giant bear that walked on stiff legs. And a lot of people think that was the Mastodon. So. I'm sure that's the kind of thing that would have come down through the you know verbal histories that yeah yeah i mean i think it's almost obvious uh you know there's no scientific confirmation of such a thing but uh, other than the fact that they both were in the the region at uh, roughly the same time i guess there's nothing wrong with that extrapolation in my opinion and, and my opinion yeah, is what matters so <laughs> yeah, good enough for government work, or sorry, good yeah. enough for for uh, I- independent artist work. Um, yeah, yeah. Excellent. So, um, besides that Kickstarter, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? Well, actually, because of the current situation, we with Black we're preparing a medical pack uh, based kind of on the mash movie oh cool the not the tv show mm-hmm. yeah yeah and there's a so, bunch of different characters yep yeah so i was kind of planning on doing more of a donald sutherland and ellie Gould kind of archive trapper and a bunch of you know other characters but uh-huh. one of the things i did was a nurse uh an african-american nurse and uh she's been sort of cast and mastered and she's sitting there and, and Last week, one of our other friends suggested, you know, what if, what, what did like you do in every year I do a Movember figure to raise money for Movember? Uh-huh. And people get it by donating to Movember. Uh, they donate to the Movember website and then I send them the figure. Uh, and we sort of talked about it and, uh, you know, our, our friend suggested this. And, and then I also noticed a day later, um, uh, one of the other sculptors was doing a similar fundraiser figure of a Canadian nurse, World War II. Uh, well, we've got Nurse Baker. Let's contact the Red Cross and uh, see if we can set up a way of uh, raising money for the Red Cross uh, with this figure. So we and I are in that process right now to make sure it's okay with the Red Cross. We've got Check with them. Right. And confirmation that, you know, we're not doing anything wrong. Well, and also, hope it would be nice if, if they could do some cross mojo, you know? That would be nice. Yeah, and, and also, I think what, was, what I've been thinking of is um, almost a, a lot of other sculptors and companies did a similar kind of thing for raising money for our, for our workers. Mm-hmm. Our, our healthcare workers who are right in the, you know, the forefront of the situation. Uh, we could get a thing going where we're all kind of promoting each other as well. If anybody is so, listening right now, how would they contact you to get in on that? To start with? Uh, uh, well, the, I'm healthfigures.com is my website. Uh-huh. My email right there and, and they can get in touch. But uh, yeah, I think if we can kind of all pull together and, and raise some money for, you know, helping where we can, you know, what little way we're able to in this silly industry, um, it would be a good thing. That's awesome, Bob. That's great. Yeah, and I'll I'll be sure to put, put that stuff on blast too. Uh, so um, 
All right. So what would you uh, do? You have any other contact info that that you'd like people to to look at right now? Or is uh, have Uh, we already um, given out everything? I should be real clear. The nurse Baker figure will be through Crucible Crush. Okay. Oh, again, www.cruciblecrush.com. Okay. We'll be you'll be able to get that figure if you know. We'll once we get the the cross of lockdown. Okay. Uh, so, uh, if they just want to contact me, Paul Figures, the Crucible will be the main producer of, of the fundraiser figure. Great. All right. Well, Bob, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I, I found the conversation very fascinating to hear about your process well, and, and how you get, how you, how you do business. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun still, and I've been doing it for 30 years. So that's, uh, that's good to hear. <laughs> well, I really hope that we get to see you next year at Adepticon and, uh, yeah. make, and, uh, we'll pick up some minis then too. Awesome. Thank you very much, Adam. All right, great.